media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. I don't know that any of my pastor buddies are starting off the summer series with a sermon on divorce. Uh, really wouldn't have been my pick, but is one of those, that's the beauty of expository preaching to me, is that you come upon the next part of the text, and uh, that's where we want to handle that and do that well. We want to do that well. And I do realize this morning, so let me just reiterate, not to just keep on saying it over, that every one of us this morning comes in with a different emotion, different background concerning this. And uh, that's why it's kind of difficult. If we were sitting down one-on-one in a counseling situation, then we can really just go to the Word and we can apply it directly to that specific need in your own life. And yet, that's an impossibility this morning that we have to, you know, and that's why I just trust the Holy Spirit to do this. And so this morning we, we come upon one of the most debated um, kind of circumstances or, or subjects in the Bible uh, even today, I want you to know that this was the same way that it was back in Jesus' day. It was as hotly contested then as it was today. Not so much just rightness or wrongness, but, but okay, what about this situation and what about that situation? And that's the difficulty when you're talking about divorce, kind of different from some other subjects that you might come across. Some other ones, if you did a flow chart, you might be able to just kind of go A and B and you'd kind of go down here and there'd be just a few complications. But as we've already said, and I reiterate, that's not the situation here. Every one of us, uh, my parents divorcing when I was a young man, I, was I affected by that? Yes. Uh, am I scarred forever? Am I put kind of behind? No, because of the grace of God. And so this is the redeeming hope of the gospel, is the grace of God. And so as we go through this this morning, understand the difficulty, understand that God talks very specifically about it. There's things like in Malachi 2.16 where it says that God hates divorce. It's against what he designed for man to experience. But he does not say there that he hates people who get divorced. No, divorce is a, a, a sin in so many cases. Uh, there are some exceptions. We'll look at a couple of those this morning of what Jesus points out. But simply, why does God hate this so much? Because number one, it is an affront to what he has designed. He designed marriage to be a forever thing, a covenant relationship, not just a contract of convenience. But I want you to know that not only today have we kind of, you know, settled into a culture of more convenience, and so this is why I want to go make this other choice or that. It was the same 2,000 years ago. It really was. You were thinking, well, not in biblical times. I think they were a little bit more kind of conservative toward this. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. For thousands of years, because of the fall of man, because of our own sinfulness, we have taken the things of God and we've tried to rearrange those for our convenience rather than trusting sometimes the beauty of what God created. So this is not something new. It is something that God very much has spoken uh, directly to. And yet there's not a chapter in the Bible that says, okay, here's my circumstances and here's where I am on this flow chart. No, very much he just gives truth. So Mark chapter 10, in the 10th chapter, uh, Jesus comes upon the, the subject of divorce. But I want you to know that he didn't start off teaching that this morning. He didn't say, okay, summer series, let me, I'm, I'm start with divorce. 
He's not teaching that. That subject is brought to his lap in the midst of his teaching. That's really important for us to understand this morning. And uh, that, that it wasn't one of those things that he just said, okay, let me get, try to define in an encyclopedia kind of way uh, everything there is about divorce. He, he doesn't do that. He's teaching, and some of the adversaries come in, and they try to take this whole conversation and this whole discussion to trip him up. And they have many different opinions back in the day, as they do now. Um, I have been accused to be very, very conservative because I um, stand very much for marriage. I've been considered by some of my cohorts to be very, very liberal because I have actually performed the wedding of some people that did a, that they were on their second marriage. But, but you know, we looked at those circumstances. Uh, probably my past church, we were probably considered by some to be liberal because we actually had some of our deacons who had had divorce, but at this time of their life, they were a commit into a committed marriage and had been for years. And so it's one of those things, you're going to get every kind, I mean, I know some pastors that said, no, if you've been divorced, you're, you can't be a minister, you can't be this, you can't be this, you can't be this. And, uh, and again, we can have our different opinions and they can stand on their convictions, I will stand on my convictions. But I want you to know that even among my peers, I'm probably more on the conservative side but have been considered by many to be liberal because somehow I involve this thing called grace and, and that, you know, that this is not a special sin outside of my own sinfulness. How many of you ever worry? Okay, to the point where it could probably categorically be called a sin. Okay, do you realize that God sees divorce and he sees worry? And you're going, no, that's not a fair, yes, guys, it is, it is. So let's let our guards down. Let's let the Holy Spirit lead us in just what the Word says this morning. Let's understand that we can take something, you know, that 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 God has spoken clearly about and and find truth. Mark chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Now remember, he is months before the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he actually goes off to the region of Judea here. And it says in verse 1, And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So he's teaching them, and this is part of the regular ministry of Christ. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to, what? Test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So he's teaching, and from every indication that we have, he's not teaching on divorce. Okay, he's teaching. And I don't know what he's teaching, we're not told that, but more than likely, we don't think that that was the subject of the morning. And yet the Pharisees, they have a point, and that is they are trying to destroy the ministry of Christ. Now it's very much, again, we're, we're going to see that uh, the context is everything here. And one of the contextual things that we see this morning is that the Pharisees come up and they pose this to Christ. They are not seeking truth. They are not seeking spiritual wisdom. What they're seeking is to trap Jesus. And in this particular region where Herod and Herodias, do you remember those names from before? Who have they already executed because he spoke boldly and they didn't like what he said? John the Baptist. They've already cut his head off. Okay? And so the Pharisees are going, okay, if they cut off the head of John the Baptist because he began to talk about that it wasn't right for Herod to, to marry his brother's wife Herodias, then, then maybe we can anger them toward Jesus. And maybe we can get rid of Jesus in the same way. 
So that's kind of the context here. They bring this subject up. And so this morning, I'm going to give you, uh, I think it's five different C's. And the first C is context. Because context is everything when we're looking at Scripture. Do you really believe that we can take almost any Scripture singularly and twist it to the point of making it say almost anything we want to? And we're bad about that because we have a, a manipulation factor in our mind that we have this desired end. So, I mean, I've had people come for counseling before, and they know what they want the pastor to say. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'm not going to say that because that doesn't line up with Scripture. And Scripture is going to be our guide. So here is context, and they're trying to take Scripture out of context. Look again at verse 2. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they probably had two intentions. Again, number one, they wanted to divide those that were following Jesus. Back in those days, there was two main schools of thought by Hebrew uh, rabbis, the Jewish rabbis. Uh, one was, uh, we used to always call him Shamu, but his actual, actual name is Shammai, and he's the conservative. And he said that divorce is only permitted in this most strict of applications. Rabbi Hillel was a little bit different. He basically took a broad interpretation of the Old Testament and the certificate of divorce that was announced under Moses. And basically, I'm not trying to be funny here, and I'm certainly not trying to make a lot of the situation, but if you didn't like the way that your breakfast was cooked in the morning, okay, I have grievance against you. I'm going to give you certificate for divorce. So you can see that there are two different sides here. And uh, again, the little numbers in the background are not biblical, but they probably reflect the current thought of that age. Everybody really sided with a guy that was very, very loose in that interpretation. And guys, just want to tell you the facts, most of the men sided in that very conservative things because they had kind of had the power in that culture. And we'll look into why even the certificate of divorce was given. It's because males did run the society. And a woman who was left single, unless she went back to live with her father, was really kind of helpless in that society. And so God, out of his grace and mercy, we're going to see, you know, why he came up with this certificate of divorce and, and to begin with. Because that's where Jesus points. Look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? So we go to the context, and now we go to a command. He goes, what does the word of God say? And they knew the Old Testament. And they quickly, probably in their minds, thought of Deuteronomy 24.1. Deuteronomy 24.1-4 talk about how a certificate of divorce was given uh, back in the time of Moses. And so Jesus, in his masterful way, as he usually did when he was trying to be trapped, he answers a question with what? A question. Masterful. I mean, he's just brilliant. He asked a question. Uh, they asked a question. Knowing that he, they were trying to trap him, he asked a question. What, what does the, the law say? What, what does Moses command you? Look at their response in verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And they're quoting there Deuteronomy 24.1. That's kind of a part of, the, of where they're basing that on. I, I want you to understand that Divorce, as much as we think that it's a, a, a current problem today, that it is just a part of our culture, it was very much part of this culture in that day. Remember when Joseph and Mary 
And the little baby Jesus, and he finds out that she's with child, and he knows that he's not the father, that it's impossible for him. Well, what did he think about doing? Putting her away quietly with divorce. That was one of the options. But you, you look back in Matthew 1.19, and, and that was one of the things. It's not where God led him. He was faithful, and he followed what God told him to do. No, you stay in this marriage. For the baby that she's carrying is not from another man, but from God himself. And so, you know, he had kind of, Joseph had to kind of take a, a leap of faith and a trust in God there. Deuteronomy 24.1. And again, I, I love context, but we're not going to read all four verses, or we'd be here at about 3 o'clock this afternoon if we start getting into every aspect of this. But look what it says. Here's what they're basing it on. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house. And it goes on to talk about what, what happens afterwards. So, so, again, the men were kind of in control, and, and they were the ones that kind of liked this. But it's the hardness of their hearts that God even allows this. Because look what it says. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency to her, is that very strict in interpretation, or is that kind of as ambiguous as you can be? Do you see the trouble? Do you see the trouble? If we would have said this condition or that condition, then that's a little bit more declarative. But what is indecency? And that's where that one rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, said, you know, if you just don't like the way the eggs were cooked in the morning, you know, she's here on a trial basis. And again, I, guys, I, I truly am not trying to be silly, but isn't that silly, though? How they, they really did. And there was a lot of people that just kind of sided that with, with that. The men were kind of in control, and, and they liked that option. Because it is spiritual and it is grounded? No, because they are sinful men, and we are fallen men, and we're prone to do things that we want to do, even when God's word would say the opposite. Have things changed? in the last 2,000 years? Is our fallenness still prey upon each one of us on a weekly, daily basis? Does your fallenness prey upon you on a regular basis? That's, Lord, I need you. We just sing that because we do. Every day we need you. And that's why Christ's work had to be finished and complete, and yet he's still in this sanctification, maturing process in each one of our lives. So what, what does Jesus respond when they say, okay, yeah, you know, he said that you could have this divorce, this certificate of divorce. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, because of what? The hardness. He said, you want to get down to it, guys? Here's the difficulty. Your sin, the hardness of your heart. He wrote you this commandment. Jesus tells them that it was never God's intention to write, to, to, to make divorce a part of marriage was never his intention. Marriage was a covenant that was to be for life through really good times and really challenging times. They didn't know I was going to ask this, but 45 years, you're celebrating 45s. Really good times? Not all of them. (laughs) Why was it that she was the one that was quick to say that? Some really challenging times. And yet... (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Joe's favorite advice to me, two of the most beautiful words, Bobby, 
Yes, dear. (laughs) Guys, nowhere, no time was divorce God's intention for marriage. It was a covenant for life. And yet, why then did he allow, under Moses, why did they allow this certificate of marriage? I believe because of God's amazing grace and his amazing love. Well, Bobby, how can you say that? How can grace and love be a part of granting something that goes against what God instituted? Remember the culture. The men were in control. If a lady was just put out, she had to go back to her own family, to her own father, and live there. Or there really wasn't a place in society. Again, you can have your own feelings about, well, that's just so wrong. We can agree that that's wrong, but that's how it was, okay? And so God's response to those that were putting out and and these, these women that were left like that is, okay, we will grant you a certificate of divorce, and that allowed them to get remarried and so that they could go someplace besides just back to their dad's house because what happens if dad's died, has died, and you have no place to go? I want you to know that this was not, when we have the certificate of divorce, did God institute that? He did, not as a replacement of marriage, but because of man's hard heart. Had man not rebelled in our sin, had we not fallen in our sin, this would, was never to be a part of it. So understand, the reasoning here isn't that God says, well, you know, I probably made things a little bit too strict when I said this whole lifetime, this whole covenant thing. Ah, I'm going to back off. No. He doesn't back off of that at all. And we're going to see that in the words of Jesus in just a moment. But what he does is understand the hardness of man's heart. He understands the sinfulness of man. And he understands that in sin, there are people that actually become kind of victim of their situations in sin. Would you agree with that? That sometimes my sin could adversely affect my wife, my children, you. And so in his grace and mercy... I think that's why he allows this. This command wasn't God's intention. It was God's intervention into the sinfulness of man. And we see this clearly in the third point. We, we had the context, and, and then we began to see you know, the, 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 the command that was given, now the covenant. Jesus then does make a proclamation. The first time that he responds back to them, he answers a question with a question. But now he comes back with a definitive statement, okay? And look at his definitive statement. Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation. Where does he go, guys? He goes all the way back. He said, let me go back to the creator. Guys, y'all didn't make up marriage. Marriage is not an institution of man. That Adam and Eve are sitting around one night and going, you know... We really should get married. We should get hitched because people are talking. There's nobody to talk, okay? It's not in their mind. They just know, you know, God had created a void in Adam's heart so that he could have a mate. One of my favorite parts of the creation story is that Adam goes out, and one of the assignments that God gives Adam before he goes to create Eve is that he says, go name all the animals. That's how he goes off. And that's why we, we have really simplistic names like cat, dog, pig. You know, you know if, if, if the lady would have been there, I mean, that looks like, I mean, we would have had a lot more words like orangutan and hippopotamus and stuff like that. This creativity would have got in there. 
But he does that, and God is doing this. Is it just a task to do before he creates Eve? No, he does it for a purpose. Because he sees that they're kind of the lion and lioness are, are kind of coupled. And he sees that there's a difference. And he sees that they're paired together. And he says to God, where's my mate? And right then, God puts him into sleep, takes the rib, creates woman, wakes him up and says, here's your helpmate. Did God respond just simply because Adam had that, you know, he asked that question? No. That's the very purpose that he sends Adam off to name all the animals. He creates this need so that when he wakes up and he sees his wife, he sees that he has been given a blessing and a treasure, guys. A blessing and a treasure. And if you are in marriage, you have been given a blessing and a treasure. And that's why it's so valuable. And that's why I think there's just a a satanic attack against marriage. It's it's the, the very foundation that God develops man on. The church is not the foundation of human society. Government certainly isn't. It's the family. It's in this family that we get attacked left and right. We have a treasured thing from the heart of God. From the heart of God. I truly believe with all my heart that in the same way he wakes up Adam and he says, here's your helpmate. That before the beginning of the universe, that he said, that woman Carly, I made her for you and here's this blessing and you protect this and you treasure this and you understand that you are the most blessed of all men what does Jesus do he doesn't go okay here's all my different views of divorce here's all the different things no he goes back to God's original design verse 7 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. The Pharisees try to get him to talk about divorce. He he talks about marriage. He quotes from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, the gift of marriage. Three things that I see that he goes back to. Number one, marriage is to be between a man and a woman. God made the genders, guys. Okay. And I realize that's a very touchy subject. I understand that that's a kind of people, even within our church, may have different opinions there. Uh, just so that you know where your pastor stands, God made male and he made female. And he, and he desires marriage between male and female. And that's not to be hateful. That's not to be, you know, uh, in, in any other way. It's just what God's design is. Second thing that we see here is that marriage is to be the primary relationship. And maybe that first one you're going, yes, amen, male and female. Is marriage your primary relationship? One of the biggest things of counseling, again, thousands of couples over these years, is that sometimes guys will allow work to to become kind of their first priority. Uh, Ladies, there's a tendency sometimes for you to allow the children to become first, uh, kind of that first primary relationship. God established marriage, the husband and wife, to be the primary relationship. And the minute you start kind of inverting that, now there's going to be times. I mean, if your little three-year-old is sick with the flu in the middle of the night, you need to attend to your three-year-old, okay? So let's don't be ridiculous with this. But what is the primary relationship? 
And God intended it to be the husband and wife. There would be times that Carly and I would go off for a couple days, and sometimes we were afforded the opportunity to go off for a week, and it was just us. And the girls, they loved travel. That was kind of our thing as a family. We loved travel. We'd been beneficiary to, to be all over the world. And, and they wouldn't be able to go on these trips. And we said, no, this is for mom and dad. This is so that we can, we're going to come back and be a better mom and dad. We're going to be a, a better thing for you. And they couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand why did, they didn't get to go to this place or on that cruise or whatever it was. And, and we told them, because this is the primary relationship. We love you. We love you. I'd lay down my life for you. But husband-wife is the primary relationship. This is the highest call that God has put in earthly relationships. I believe that we gave them a gift. At the time, all they said, I don't get to go on the cruise? (laughs) No. (laughs) I hope that we gave them, I hope we planted in them how important it is to keep the primary relationship that God said was primary to be primary. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Why is that so important in context? Did Adam and Eve have a mother and father? What it shows us is that God had a design <laughs> before there was even you know, the, the full use of this design. They didn't even have a mother and father. And yet he already has that instituted into it because he knows that there will be mothers and fathers down in the generations to come. The third thing, marriage is to be for life. Verse 8 and 9, And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus reminds them in this, the, in this middle of the discussion where they want to say, okay, what about divorce? What about divorce? He reminds them of the beauty of the covenant that God desired. It's not to be viewed as a, a contract, and it is not to be viewed as a convenience. It is a covenant for life. I've known some couples that uh, I, I could name several. Did they have the deepest love for one another? anymore and they would tell you and confess no well do they stay together just because it's convenient no because it was God's command and they wanted to honor that and what I've seen is that through those dips for a couple years where there was kind of a loveless marriage God has reinstituted a love in their hearts and those are I mean the two that come to mind are two of the strongest marriages that I know today because they really did go through really, really difficult times. And it was not convenient. It wasn't one of those things. It was only that they were, okay, we want to commit ourselves to God. And God grew a love that was fresh and anew in their lives. I've done over five, 600 weddings, and, and a few of those we've done the salt ceremony. It's really kind of a cool thing. You know how you do the lighting of the candles and you do different things? The salt ceremony is that... Uh, there's two pouches. The, the, the husband and the, the, the wife-to-be have a pouch of salt. And what you do, it's an Old Testament thing, and you take some salt, a pinch of salt, and you put it in their pouch, and they take some salt, and they put it in your pouch. And the thing was, this contract, this covenant, is really more of a covenant because until you could get every grain of salt and put it back into the other's bag, you're together. And I love that. I love that kind of Old Testament. Now, they used it in a business sense in the Old Testament. But with the beauty of what this is, this is a covenant and not just a contract. So we've seen the context. We've seen the command. We've seen the covenant. And, and t- 
taken together, we see that God's intention is really clear. But man's sin ruined the original design and the purpose. And this is where we get the fourth point, the confusion. Even though Jesus makes it very clear of what God's intention for marriage was, man's sinfulness adds all these complications. Now look at the confusion in verse 10. The teaching is over. They go back to the house where they're staying, and the disciples says, in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Hey, uh, you know, we heard what you said, and I think that was a really good answer, Jesus. But uh, but what, what do you think about this situation or that situation or this situation? I, I imagine that there was a lot of questions in their hearts and their minds. And so they come back to that. Part of the confusion, the intimidation, is because even though the Bible has been very pronounced, they've, there's certain things that uh, are left, if you want to say, open to interpretation. For example, if we look at this account in Matthew's gospel, here's what it says in Matthew 19, 9 and 10. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, is such, uh, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Basically, they're going... Man, this marriage thing is a hard thing. It's a beautiful thing. But it's a hard thing. Amen? It's a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And it's a gift of God, and it is to be protected as a treasure. Why is there confusion? If you got 10 pastors this morning, and I would say 10 conservative Bible-believing pastors, believe me, if you got us on a panel and you asked us very specific questions, well, what about this case? What about this asterisk? What about this situation? We would have as many as 10 different opinions on some of those situations. And it's not because we're just wishy-washy and or this one's just a liberal guy and this is a conservative. It's because it really is hard. For example, we do see that exception was given in the case of adultery. But what about pornography? The word is pornea there. And is pornography, is that adultery? Well, Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart, then you've committed adultery. I mean, see how all of a sudden it really gets a little bit complicated? And what about in abuse cases? What about in abandonment? Paul addresses this to the Corinthians. What about if you marry an unbeliever and they abandon you and they, they want to get away? I mean, there's just a lot of things here. And so we start this kind of flow chart and somewhere in there may be your case. And I don't know this side of heaven, guys, that we're going to have an answer to every one of those that is not lacking some sort of interpretation. Is it because God is just deficient and he should have covered all the bases? What if God would have written 50, let's just pick them up, 50 rules concerning or situations concerning divorce. It's allowance or not allowance. And he, let's go with a hundred. Okay, so we got a long, we got this long list. Do you think that when I get into my situation that I would want there to be a 101? See our fallenness? Our fallenness, our sinfulness, guys? We, we always want to be the exception to the rule. I know, but here's, here, here's how I feel, or here's my situation. I am not making light of your situation. Many of you 
had to go through divorce, and it was not your choice. You did everything. That, I can remember times in my office counseling somebody and tears running down a young lady's face or a young man's face and going, I do not want this. I will fight for it. And, and they were really left with very, very little choices in the matter. Guys, if you haven't been through the touches of divorce, either directly or indirectly, please keep the judgmental thing at home. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of... Now, I'm not trying to compromise the Word of God. He's made it clear. Man, we are for marriage. I'm just saying, guys, it is not the unpardonable sin. Is that lowering down the significance of divorce? No. I'm just saying, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. And whenever we make anything a special sin, because that hasn't affected us, we are no better than the Pharisees of that day who saw the sin of everybody else but didn't see their own sin. I, I hope you hear that, because some of you might have just heard, well, man, he's not really kind of standing, you know, he's saying that divorce is okay. I am not saying that. I'm going to give you the answer Jesus gives. In the beginning... Let's hold up high and protect high this gift of grace called marriage. But let's also understand that because of the sinfulness of man, I've done many things in my life that was not the will of God. And is that a curse? Do I, do I wear a, an A or a D now? A scarlet letter for the rest of my life? No, because it was taken to the cross and Christ has forgiven me and he restores me. This is the complexity of the gospel. It never lowers sin, you know, sin to be acceptable, but it always shows us that it is not the end. And no matter how many times I say that, some of you are going, my man, that's just a liberal thought right there. Somebody else is saying, well, that's a really conservative thought. I don't care what you think about me. I just want to preach the gospel. And the thing that I do not want is for anybody that has been affected by divorce in here this morning to not know that there is hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. Does it affect you? Yeah. It's not God's will. And am I a little warped? I think I am because of the divorce. I went into achievement mentality. The applause of man was everything to me. Because that's where I found, okay, man, when you score the, the winning basket, when you get the A's, when you do this, even my mom and dad were kind of at peace. What a pressure on an 11-year-old boy. This isn't the will of God. But there is grace. How can we pray? How can we preach both of those simultaneously? Only because of the work of Christ. And this is what Jesus does, guys. Pain of divorce speaks for itself. It may have been you personally. It may have been your parents. It may have been your children. You may have been the one trying to salvage the marriage. You may have been the one initiating it. You may have been the one cheated on. You may have been the cheater. We need Jesus. And this is the fifth point. The cross. (laughs) 
My hope this morning is if you have been directly affected by divorce, that you, that you know that it is not the unpardonable sin. It is not a special sin. It is sin. I do believe that it was never God's intention. Well, what about those circumstances where, you know, it was my, my spouse that did the adultery? Again, we can get into all those conversations, and because of his grace and his love, he does give. He doesn't suggest marriage, uh, a divorce, but he does give allowance because, again, there's somebody affected there. But if we don't end up here, guys, with divorce, with worry, with any sin, then we are to be the most pitied of all men. But if we can end up here, no matter what our sin, and hold high the things that God has held high, and treasure the things that God said, this is a precious gift to you. You protect this marriage. You, you, you treasure this. Then it finds its death and its ability. It, it, it defines the ability that when you are on that low point, the grace to get you through. The cross is everything. Jesus is everything, guys. And if we don't end there, then we have not completed this story. And in no way do I feel like I've covered everything this morning. In fact, that's where, again, call me this week. We'll have lunch. We'll have dinner. I'll come to your house. We'll pray. We'll discuss. We can text. We can do whatever is convenient. I do not want you leaving with kind of thoughts that, that would make you contrary to the gospel. I just want to make sure that all this is brought back to the cross. I hope you've heard this morning that Jesus Holds high marriage. I hope you hear this morning that God does hate, the actual Hebrew word is detest, divorce. Not those who get divorced, divorce. Why? Because it brings brokenness and it's against his will and his covenant and what he's established. Both of these truths are truths. And the only place they make sense, the only place that we find some sense and all the nonsense of that is the redeeming work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you leave here this morning feeling some guilt because of choices you've made years ago, I pray that you take that to the cross. If you have woundedness in your heart because your mom and your dad divorced and it kind of left you a little bit, you know, wonky a little bit. That's the technical term, wonky, by the way. Um, Run to the cross. If you have a judgmental attitude this morning because you have a really, really good marriage and you just can't see why anybody ever would be qualified for anything if they've been divorced, pastor, deacon, even this, that, and the other, I pray you'd run to the cross too. I really do. pray together this morning. Father, I, I love you. I thank you that you're sufficient. And all my insufficiency to try to cover this this morning, Father, we can stay here for the next three hours and there would still be these situations, Father, that we just would not be able to cover. And so, Father, this morning we just come back to where we come with anything uh, that is a result of our fallenness and our rebellion against you, a holy God. We run to the cross. And so, Father, this morning we're going to end with just singing the gospel Father, we, we sing before a rock of ages. 
Ephesians 2.13, that we who once were far off have been brought near. And Father, today we proclaim the hope of the gospel. For sins like worry, sins like materialism, sins like lust and pornography, and even sins that come to a broken family. There is redemption, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is hope in the gospel. We who once your enemy are now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. And now we sing this love song to you out of our desire, Father, just to make much of the gospel. We love you and we thank you as we pray this. And the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.